0: Please turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, where we're going to begin this morning, Psalm 139. Parents, have you ever told your kids uh, that they're special, that they're unique? There's a, a place in the world for them, a, a role that they can fulfill that no one else can fulfill. You ever told them that? Probably. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Really, do you genuinely believe it? What if your kid is not in Gifted and Talented? Or what if your kid is just playing city soccer and not Select? Or what if your kid can play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Stars and not Beethoven? Do you, do you still believe it then? good way to know is do you believe it about yourself? Do you believe that you're special? Do you believe that you're unique? Do you believe there's a role that God has designed for you that only you can play? Chances are if you don't believe it about yourself... Just kind of making it up for your kids. But here's the great message this morning. You are special. This is not a Tony Robbins speech this morning, it's uh, not a Joel Osteen sermon. I'm just going to preach from the word, the truth, okay? You are special. You are unique. There is a role that only you can play in the world. I want you to read with me in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. For you, O Lord, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when is yet? There was not one of them. You are unique. There's not another person like you on the face of the earth. Uh, I, I have discovered, uh, unfortunately, this word unique is overused. You know, this week I was looking up unique things, unique uh, line of clothing. I saw that was actually just like all other clothing. Unique line of furniture is like other furniture. Then I found a unique advertising agency that said their ads were unique. And I looked at them and I go, you know, they're not really unique. They're cool and they're creative, but they're not unique. Unique means this. It's from Latin. It means single soul forming only one of its kind. And you are unique. Even if you're a twin, you're unique. The psalmist tells us that we each have a unique body that God has made. And no one else occupies that. We have a unique setting into which we are born, a unique time in which we are born, a unique culture, family members, friends surrounding us, character qualities, opportunities, skills and abilities that make us, in fact, unique, single, soul, forming the only one of its kind. And the way that God sets us apart is through a variety of means through talents that he has given us. And these talents are manifested, I think, in at least three different ways. First, God's design for you began at conception. You are a talented person, and that talent began to be placed in you at conception. I want you to notice with me this phrase in chapter 139, verse 16. David writes, "'Your eyes have seen my unformed substance.'" Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In Hebrew, that's a way of referring to the embryo. It's a cellular structure that is not yet differentiated and become arms and legs and heart and lung and spleen, organs. It's undifferentiated. My unformed substance. For Hebrews, in their way of thinking, that was the embryo. That's what that was. And in their thought processes... God's design of you began at that moment, the actualization. Certainly, God had actually created you in his own mind from all of eternity, but he began to fulfill that at the moment of conception. And we should pause here and acknowledge that if you're ever looking for a place in the Bible that affirms sanctity of life and right to life, Psalm 139, verse 16. There are other places, certainly, that God affirms life. But Psalm 139, verse 16, tells us very plainly that God regards that the moment of conception that that is life, that is a person, a person that he knows, a person that he has designed and has designs for. We don't talk a lot about the issue of right to life or, or abortion here. We try to focus our attention upon what is right with Jesus and drawing people to Jesus Christ, but we would be remiss to miss this moment when the Bible is addressing the point that life begins at conception. Okay? This year marks the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Since Roe v. Wade was passed, we've been 55 million deaths of unborn children. Life taken. It's not merely a political issue. It's not merely a, a social issue. It's, it's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to say we we believe in life. We believe in life. What I appreciate about the community agencies that we partner with is what they really focus on is not simply what's bad with abortion. They're not simply anti-abortion, but they're pro-life, they're pro-hope, they're pro-forgiveness and reconciliation in Jesus. Hope Pregnancy Center, Aguiland Pregnancy Outreach faithful to the fatherless, they're pointing people to hope and life in Jesus because they're reminding our culture continuously over and over and over again that life begins at conception. And God cares for his children, each and every one of them, so much so that he begins to design them even while their substance is unformed. That is life and that is potential. That is design. It is a reflection of the creativity of God. So God's design began... At conception for you and God's, God's design was meticulous and intentional. Notice the vocabulary that David uses here. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Verse 15, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, there was meticulous and intentional design of you. You are not accidental. You are not Accidental. And that's not someone just trying to falsely build you up. That's what the word of God says about you. Skillfully designed and wrought in the depths of the earth. Earlier Lance read Ephesians 2, we all know verses 8 and 9. Verse 10 starts out like this. We are his workmanship. The master creator of the universe, creator of all things, decided that he would make as the pinnacle of his creation Humankind, men and women, you. You are his workmanship, carefully, skillfully wrought by the hand of God. Not accidental. So you are talented. How does God demonstrate that talent, his design? How is it reflected in your life? Well, I'm going to give you three ways. The first is through natural abilities. Written into your genetic code is potential. Natural abilities, things that you were born with, beauty and intelligence and strength intuition. Different capacities that you were simply born with. Now you can see it in kids. You can see certain kids, they're walking down the street with their parents and you can just see that they have a sense of their body. They're, they're going to do well athletically. They're coordinated. You can see that. You see other kids who they're just, uh, there's just a, a capacity to express themselves. We have uh, some friends and they have, their daughter is really remarkable in this. Sometimes I'm talking with her and I think, wow, it's like, it's like I'm talking with a peer almost you know just like a miniature adult person you know but man you know she's just she thinks about things very deeply she expresses herself exceptionally well and she always has it's remarkable just part of the natural ability that God placed within her some other friends they have a daughter and I remember this is years ago we went to their house and um, she stood up We're, we're all sitting around the living room and she stood up she got on the hearth And she began to perform, and she sang, and she danced, and she recited some things she had memorized, and at the end of her performance, she threw out her arms and she said, I'm so talented. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, you know, your career may not be music and dance, but yeah, it's true. You, you are talented. And I love it that your parents have genuinely placed within you the confidence that God has made you special and unique, and there's a place for you In the world, you are talented. Natural ability that God places in each and every one of us. Now, I have frequently been asked, Brian, what do you say then about those who are born without apparent natural ability? What do you you say about those who are born with severe limitations mentally or physically? I would say every life has phenomenal potential to bless others. You ever known someone like that? Who's, who's born with severe limitations? You ever known a family that embraced that child or that person? Then you have experienced blessing. And I believe that someday we will see that person in glory. Glorified. All that God originally intended and designed. And we will stand in awe. I believe that someday we're going to see one another fulfilling all of our potential, glorified, all that God had intended and designed us to be, and we will stand in awe of one another. Daniel says that the saints, God's people, will shine. They will radiate. They will be fulfilled when they're glorified in his presence, and I think that we will be amazed because God has designed us with ability, with talent. It's written into our identity. First, it comes out, in the form of natural abilities. Second, learned skills. And on this foundation of the genetic code, natural abilities that we are given, we begin to learn, we take on knowledge, and we begin to practice, we grow in skill. There are countless illustrations of this in the Bible. Let me give you just a few. One of my favorites from Exodus chapter 31, a man named Bezalel. See, I have called by name. That means he's one of a kind. God says he's special, this one, Bezalel, I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold in silver and in bronze that could be used in the temple for worship of God. The reason I like him as an illustration is he's the first person that is ever said to be filled with the spirit in all of the Bible. That's the first first one ever in all the Bible. Filled with the Spirit. What I like about this illustration is he wasn't filled with the Spirit so that he could stand up and preach or teach or do something that we normally think of in terms of the Spirit. He made things with his hands. He was a craftsman. Filled with the Spirit to honor God with his hands. goes on a few chapters later. He wasn't the only one. All the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair so that it could be used in the temple for worship of the Lord. It wasn't a secondary ministry. The first person to be filled with the Spirit is one who makes things with his hands. These women make things with their hands and they bless others. There's a woman in the New Testament who blesses the church and everyone weeps when she dies. Remember, her name is Dorcas. She had another name, Tabitha. and I think she should probably stick with Tabitha. But anyway, (laughs) she made things with her hands and blessed the entire community because she had an innate skill, an ability that was developed through practice and used as a blessing For others. Third illustration. Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. It says. As for these youths. God gave them knowledge and intelligence. In every branch of literature and wisdom. Remember when they were deported to Babylon. They were selected to study. And it wasn't that God. Just just magically put the knowledge into them. God gave them some natural abilities. And then they studied hard. Students a particular word to you. You have a great opportunity at this moment a great privilege to take some natural ability that God has given you and work hard to develop it. If you think about worldwide, not that many people get to study at an undergraduate level. If you're at Texas A&M or if you're at Blinn College, it's because God has given you some natural abilities. You may not be the absolute top of the class, but you wouldn't be here if you didn't have some natural abilities. Now, take advantage of that opportunity and grow those skills Accumulate knowledge and skill in thinking critically so that you can use that and go out and bless others and honor God with your mind and your skill. That is a privilege. It's stewardship. One more illustration of this. Acts chapter 18. It's about Apollos. It says, There was a Jew named Apollos. He was an Alexandrian by birth. An eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. Now, that word for eloquent means trained in rhetoric. He was from the city of Alexandria, one of the primary uh, intellectual uh, cities of the ancient world. He had clearly studied rhetoric and he had refined his skill and then he had applied himself to studying the word of God and to using his skill in rhetoric to persuade others to follow God. Again, natural ability that was refined and became a learned skill that he grew and he grew and he grew. So God presents in us natural abilities, learned skills, and then probably most importantly, spiritual gifts. I want you to turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse four. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. couple of observations. First is that only believers have spiritual gifts. Only believers have spiritual gifts. Christ is the one who accomplished the work that removes the debt of our sin. The spirit is the one who applies that to our lives. The moment that we believe, the spirit regenerates us, causes us to be born again. Our spirit, which is dead, meaning separated from God, Becomes reunited with the Spirit of God, that is spiritual life. We come to life spiritually. That's regeneration. We're born again. Then the Spirit indwells us and lives within us forever, which was God's intention that man would be the dwelling place of God, that man would be the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we would be the physical manifestation, in a sense, of the Spirit of God on earth, God's presence. Spirit indwells us. And when the Spirit comes to us, He does not come empty handed. He brings gifts along with Him. And so, only believers have spiritual gifts, but every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Notice what He says, verse 7 But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For the common good. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. In other words, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. You don't get to pick what your spiritual gifts are. God is sovereign, He's in control, and He does it just as He wills. And there are varieties of gifts. Not everyone has the same gift. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, He says. Some have gifts of hospitality. Not everyone is designed the same. Notice verse 4 again. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit giving them. There are varieties of ministries, that is, different opportunities that you have to use these gifts that are unlike anyone else. No one else can do what you do because no one else has the opportunities that you have. There are varieties of effects, that is, the outcome of the use of these gifts is in the hands of God. We are not in control of that, are we? We are not in control. Talking to a friend recently, who he'd, he'd uh, done some missions work over in Western Europe, and they were there for a year, and they saw no one trust in Jesus Christ for a year. They shared, and they shared, and they shared, and just getting in a deep conversation was really difficult. Then he went on a 10-day quick vision trip to give some other students a vision for ministry in East Asia. They were there 10 days, and they saw eight people trust Christ in 10 days same person, same spirit of God, God's in control of the effects. We're not. We're responsible for what? Faithfulness, right? We talked about this last week. Faithfulness. That's our responsibility. Faithfulness. So, I'm asked several questions when we talk about spiritual gifts. I want to address these. First, what are they? What exactly are spiritual gifts? Well, In 1 Corinthians 12, they are called manifestations of the Spirit. And the point seems to be this. You can't get them anywhere else. Only the Spirit can give these things to you. You can't study harder and find them. You're not necessarily born with them. 1 Peter 4, they are called manifestations of grace. That is, they are gifts of God. You can't earn it. It's not because you're deserving in a sense that it's given to you. These are gifts manifestations of the grace of God. So they are manifestations of the grace of God, endowments of God's grace for the blessing and benefit of the body of Christ and for God's honor and glory. Second question I'm asked sometimes is how many gifts are there? Well, that's a little tricky to answer. In Romans, Paul lists seven. First Corinthians, he lists 17. In Ephesians, four or five, depending on how you define your terms. And then in first Peter, Peter only lists two. The point, I think, is that these lists are not intended to be exhaustive. They're just illustrative. They're examples of the kinds of gifts the Spirit brings to his people. If you add them all up in the lists that are given, there are 20. Again, I don't think the list is exhaustive. I think there are things probably that we do that are spiritual gifts that aren't actually didn't make the list because Paul wasn't intending ever to be exhaustive with his list, but just to illustrate. So how many gifts are there? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's the final word. Are spiritual gifts different from natural abilities or learned skills? Are they different? The answer is absolutely yes. They are different. They are different. Think about the spiritual gift of tongues. Poured out on the day of Pentecost, the apostles all of a sudden start speaking in languages that they do not know. They didn't study those languages, they weren't born with those languages. Miraculously, those gifts were just poured out upon them. And so, yes, they are different. On the other hand, no, they're not different. They're not different. Some people are born with an innate ability to teach, to take ideas and package them, communicate them to others, and then they refine that skill. They've got skill and natural ability in teaching. They become believers and they step into the body of Christ, and God empowers that natural ability with the spiritual gift of teaching and the effect is the body of Christ is edified the effect is something happens that natural ability alone could not accomplish. And so sometimes natural abilities and gifts work hand in hand. So no, they're different. Yes, they're kind of the same. No, they're not, They're different. I mean, it, it, you know, it's really challenging. I mean, jumping is jumping a spiritual gift. No, it's not. But right. You could take your jumping ability Mike, you could take your jumping ability and coach kids in basketball, and you could encourage them and equip them with some life skills, maybe share the gospel. You could use this to the honor and the glory of God. And that seems to be the point of the whole thing, is that anything that you have and anything that you are, God can take and God can use. Interestingly, if you look at the history of Dwight L. Moody, he was not articulate at all. His grammar was horrible. He was only educated to a fifth grade level. When he preached, people would frequently come up to him and correct his grammar. One man came up to him at, at one point and he said, you know, you should not ever speak in public. He said, it's just so painful listening to your bad grammar. You should stop this right now. And Moody looked at him, you know, in, in, in his very humble but powerful way and he said, you know, I, I acknowledge you're, you're right. My grammar is, is not good but I'm taking all of the grammar that I have and I'm using it for the glory of God. What are you doing with your grammar? That's what he said. What are you doing with your grammar? So it may not even be a natural ability. The fundamental issue may be, are you available? Are you available even in your weaknesses so that God can take all that you are and all that you have and use it to edify the body of Christ and honor and glorify himself? I think that is the fundamental issue. Romans 11 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the honor and the glory forever and ever. Everything you have is stewardship. Now one other question that I'm frequently asked is, are there still miraculous gifts today? Do we still have the miraculous or or the sign gifts today? Um, My simple answer would be, if God chooses to use them, then he certainly can. But we can't demand them because we don't know how God is moving in history at a given point in time. Let's go back to our list for a moment. When we talk about the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts, they include these five. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, and various miracles, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I feel really confident that the spiritual gift of prophecy doesn't exist any longer. Meaning, someone speaking on behalf of God with the authority of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord. In other words, when I preach a sermon, you should never write it down verbatim, put it in a book, and say, let me stick this in the back of my Bible, thus saith the Lord. Don't do that. You should be like the Bereans, and and critique and check. is is What he's saying, does it line up with Scripture or not? No one speaks any longer with this level of authority, because the, the canon of Scripture has been closed. The books have been given that God intended to be given. So, in this respect... I don't think prophecy exists. I do think that from time to time, God puts impressions on our mind and on our heart about what's going to happen in the future so we can make decisions accordingly. And I think probably again, when end times begin to emerge, the prophets may come again. But at this point in time, the canon is closed. No one speaks with the authority of the word. Uh, I also think that the office of apostleship does not exist any longer. Paul said apostles are those who have actually seen the resurrected Jesus Those people are not alive any longer. Those were the ones who were responsible to lay the foundation of the church, the the new doctrine about death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah and Jew and Gentile in one body, this mystery of the church. That was a role for a particular point in time that I don't think exists any longer. Now, this, this gifting of being able to march out into a new area and till up hard ground and plant the church where it never existed before, I think that there are skills and abilities and gifts that go along with that but I wouldn't call it apostleship. Okay, what about the rest of these then? Tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing and miracles. Let me just make a couple of observations. First, if you look at the, the history of mankind from a theological perspective, there are periods when there were just miraculous outpourings of God's spirit. We can, we can think specifically of a few. The first was Moses. and Moses did some really amazing stuff. All kinds of miracles in the face of Pharaoh as they exited, uh, even through the wilderness wandering, miracle after miracle after miracle. Another period of time was Elijah and Elisha when the priests and the kings had failed to lead the people and there was emerging a, a new role, a new office, and that was that of prophet. Third period of time is the time of Jesus and the apostles. Again, new revelation in each point in time. A new movement of God's spirit. In the last, it was the the gospel itself and the mystery of the church. This is new revelation, a new movement of God through human history and on the earth. And those periods of time are marked by miraculous outpourings of the spirit of God. Let me give you one verse. Uh, So Hebrews Chapter 2, verse 4 is just a cross-reference that illustrates the same point. Acts 2.22, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. In other words, uh, Peter was saying God gave these miracles to attest. They were signs that validated this new revelation through Jesus Christ. Hebrews says the same thing about the ministry of the apostles. The signs were given to attest To New Revelation. Think back again about the day of Pentecost. The the apostles have the Spirit of God poured out upon them for the very first time and they speak in tongues, right? But remember, tongues were not necessary at that moment for communication. They were validation, not communication. People are gathered around. Remember, these are mostly Jews from all over the Roman Empire. They've gathered together and they have their regional languages that they speak. And so the apostles have the gift of tongues poured out on them. They begin to speak in all of these different languages. And the men stop and they go, whoa, we better listen. We better listen. And then after all that has taken place, Peter quiets everyone down. And then he speaks in one language, right? Aramaic. And they all understand him because everyone spoke that Semitic trade language of Aramaic. They spoke their regional language. They spoke Aramaic. They probably spoke Greek as well. And they could, many of them could read or understand Hebrew. So the tongues were not necessary for communication of the gospel. They were validation. And that's what we see historically is God pours out his spirit in this way to validate the revelation that he's given. Okay? That's my first observation. Second, there are also periods of silence. There are also periods of silence when you don't see God pouring out his spirit in this way. From the end of Malachi until John the Baptist shows up, there's prophetic silence. There's not a word from the Lord. Miracles aren't happening. John the Baptist comes and he begins to preach, but he doesn't do a lot of miracles, does he? Jesus does miracles, but John the Baptist didn't. King Saul had the Spirit poured out on him and he prophesied, but David never prophesied. He did write scripture. Elijah and Elisha did miracles. But apparently, Haggai didn't do any miracles. He just preached. In other words, there are times when God chooses to act in certain ways and times when he doesn't, and we're not in control of that, right? That's not for us to say when it must happen. Again, God gives his spiritual gifts just as he chooses to accomplish his will in history. Now, does that mean he can't break through right now with the miraculous? I don't think so. I think he could. Wouldn't surprise me to see in areas where the gospel has not yet been planted that you might see more of these sign type gifts to validate new revelation being given to a particular group of people. And that tends to be what we hear oftentimes from the mission field. My, uh, my, my good friend from, from India, Babu Rao Pimplekar, he came to Christ because he had a vision. Jesus appeared to him in a dream. If you've never heard his testimony, you can get a copy on CD. It's, it's amazing. But he, he, was, he was worshiping idols, literally, little idols. He was responsible to clean the idols. And his, his uh, mother passed away, and then his, his uh, twin younger brothers, they passed away. And he was, before these idols, he's cleaning them with his grandmother. She's teaching him to worship. And he said, why couldn't these idols have, have saved them from death? And she said, you know, these idols are not powerful Over life and death. But there is one God and he has the power of life and death. And at that moment in time, he said to himself, I will never worship these idols. I will find that God who has life and death in his hand. Well, As a student, he had a vision. And in his vision, a man came to him and handed him a list of all of his crimes All of his sins. And he read the list and it was true. And that man said, you will be put to death for this list. And he was sitting and he was weeping. And another man came up to him and took the list. And he said, don't you know that I died for that list? Don't you know I died for those? And took the list from him. He woke up. Shortly after that, he met a missionary who presented the gospel. And he realized that he had seen Jesus. Can God break in in miraculous ways? Nothing restricts the Lord our God. Nothing restricts the Lord our God. I'll make more, one third observation. Even if we don't necessarily, in, right in our context, see these sign gifts occurring, maybe none of us say, I, I have the spiritual gift of healing, for example. We're still commanded to pray. Right? Maybe God has, has, is pouring out his spirit in a particular way and there are People in certain places that have gifts of healing. Well, that's under God's control, right? The apostle Paul, he healed people. He raised the dead. Remember the guy who fell out of the roof because of the long sermon? You think about that some mornings, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Paul went down, he raised him from the dead, didn't he? But then at the very end of Paul's life, it's, he says, Trophimus, my coworker, I had to leave him sick in my elitus. Well, why, Paul? If you have the spiritual gift of healing, why don't you just go heal, 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 heal? Anybody else? Okay, now I can go. He left him sick and myelitus. Why? Because God is control, in control of when these things happen and when they don't. Right? But we are commanded to pray, specifically pray for one another and pray for healing. Because even if it isn't, isn't the spiritual gift of healing, God may intervene and heal and do something miraculous. I want to give you just one illustration of this. This happened in our congregation over the past year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I, I asked the family permission to share it, and they said, absolutely, you must share it, because it's just a, an incredible tale of God's power intervening in our world and in our lives. There's a family, um, Jennifer and Brett Hearn, and they had a, a, she was pregnant with twins, and they found out before she was, the twins were born that one of those twins had an inoperable brain tumor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you their story. So I get all the facts right, okay? When Jennifer was 31 weeks pregnant with our twin girls, we were told that twin B, whom we named Avery Faith Hearn, had a large mass in the right frontal lobe of her brain. Avery's tumor was carefully monitored for growth until she and Audrey were born at Texas Children's Hospital on July 26, 2012. Avery had brain surgery at five days old to remove as much of the tumor as possible, about 25% of the tumor, for diagnosis. We later learned that her tumor was an extremely rare and aggressive cancer, that it was wrapped around the major arteries in her right frontal lobe, optic nerve, and pituitary stalk, preventing further surgery. Medical treatments would be be very painful for Avery and offered no reasonable hope for survival. We made the decision to bring Avery home with a hospice service to enjoy every day that God gave us with her. We were told to expect Avery to live about two weeks to two months. We reasoned that God did not need doctors to heal Avery. We asked family, friends and people on this page to join us in prayer that God would heal Avery, and that each day she had with it, and, and that each day she had with us until she was healed or God took her home, was as painless as possible for her. When we first found out that Avery was sick, we prayed to, together that God would heal Avery, that her life and our lives would bring him glory through this time, and that He would lift up many people to pray for Avery and our family. Jennifer kept in contact with Avery 's oncologist at Texas Children's Hospital, mostly sending pictures and updates on how Avery had been doing. When she was four and a half months old, her oncologist spoke to some of his colleagues about bringing her in for a re-evaluation since she was still alive. We made the trip downtown, and they decided to do an MRI of her brain to see how much the tumor had grown. Avery had an MRI on December 24th, okay, just this past December 24th. In our surprise, the tumor appeared to be all but gone, all that remained was a small nodule, one one-twentieth of, of the original size of the tumor, and it was not near any arteries, optic nerve, or pituitary stalk. She did have a large amount of fluid on her brain, a condition called hydrocephalus, but we were thrilled with what we saw. We spoke to the neurosurgeon and oncologist about the results. They didn't know what to say. An aggressive cancer such as ATRT, simply doesn't vanish. Later that week, Avery had another brain surgery to remove the small, suspicious-looking mass for biopsy and as a treatment for hydrocephalus. The biopsy results came back, and there was no cancer found at all. All that was left over from that nasty tumor was scar tissue and some old blood. God has done more than we could have imagined for our family and for Avery. We always hope to see God flex his muscles in this way. He answered all our prayers in such powerful ways. God deserves all the glory for healing Avery. We ask people to continue praying for Avery. We're praying that Avery's cerebral spinal fluid would drain by itself so she wouldn't need a shunt. Keep praying. We also pray that Avery's brain will heal from the stress that it has been under and that she will develop in a healthy way. God took out her cancer. Come on. Nothing the doctors could explain. They brought their baby home and put, put their child under hospice care. And then God removed the cancer. Okay? God can do that. On the other hand, this year marks the, the, the third anniversary of the death of one of my high school friends who was a member here, at Lane Cole. He had brain cancer and God didn't take his brain cancer away. Okay? Sometimes God steps and intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. But we worship him not because he jumps when we say jump, but because we know he's good. Because he gave us Jesus. And Lane is with Jesus, healed and whole. Because God is good and God is powerful. And the point this morning I want to drive home is that God is powerful in and through your life. God made you uniquely, and the body of Christ needs you. There is something that you bring to your family, to the church. To the lost of the world that absolutely no one else on the planet can bring. That's what gives you a great self image and significance on this earth. So I want to challenge you this week take an inventory. What do you love to do? What are you good at doing? What do people see in you and affirm in you? What do you just want to try? How could you use any of these things, whether you want to call them a natural ability, a skill that you learned, or a spiritual gift? I really don't care about the theology of that, honestly. I want to see you just get busy and use all of the gifts God has given you. Remember what we saw last week. This is a big household. This is God's home, and we are God's family, and we are God's stewards, and for each and every one of us, we don't own the stuff in the house, but he's given us a few things to manage while he is away. And then someday Jesus Christ will return and he wants us to manage well in the meantime your skills and talents and abilities, all the things that you've learned, the opportunities that you have had. Take them and use them for God's honor, God's glory, the blessing of this world. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I do pray that we would see ourselves as stewards and we would grow in faithfulness. I thank you, Father, that we would truly, genuinely believe that you have made us each uniquely and that we have a role to play in your household, in your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would empower us to serve you faithfully for a lifetime. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, before you leave, let me uh, give you a little piece of information. We're going to be running a shape class. That's a class that really helps you take inventory. Take inventory. And discover what your spiritual gifts are, some of your natural abilities, some things you just want to try, some opportunities that may have crossed your path. That class is going to run as soon as men's and women's Bible studies and growth groups are over. We're going to run it in April and May, and that is going to be posted on the website. You can sign up for it online. You can schedule it so that you can begin to take some inventory about the way God has made you. But I would say even before you take inventory at Shape Class, think for a moment this week about what you love to do. Think about some things you've been good at doing. Think about some things that maybe others have affirmed in you. Think about some things you just want to try. And then go out this week and stretch and see how God might use you for the church, for your family, for the lost. Okay. God bless you and enjoy being fearfully and wonderfully made. Have a great week.